from the book of Jonah, God relented of the disaster, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, good morning, friends. I have to confess to you, as I'm sitting here, as uh, Johnson was reading this book, text from Jonah, I was reminded of when I was a kid, you never go to Carvel for an ice cream cake, and they used to have those ice cream cakes, it was a whale. I used to love those. Anyway, and the reason I'm saying that to you is this, this idea, this Jonah story, I mean, we all know the story of Jonah, most of us do, and it almost, most of us understand it as something like a, like a children's story, right? Like a little kid cartoon with, a, with you know, uh, this, this uh, guy that Jonas, Jonas sends, God sends Jonah out on a mission, and then he kind of runs away, and then thankfully he's swallowed by a big friendly whale who swims over to Nineveh and spits him out on the ground, and with a slap of the flipper and a flick of his tail, he says, go get him, Jonah, right? And then off he flips, and we're like, yeah! And the reason I'm telling you that is if you look at the story that way, you totally misread this text because it really isn't about a whale and it really isn't even about the Ninevites. It's about Jonah's heart. It's astounding if you think about it. We're going to dial in on this today. What exactly is the moral of this story? What is it? Is it about, you know, you know this uh, Uber-ish type whale that kind of plants Jonah where he needs to go? Well, no, actually. It's not about that at all. What it's about is Jonah and his anger and the compassion of God. And you see the same dynamic in the gospel. But I'm going to talk about this morning. This text is about two, two points today. The anger of Jonah and the compassion of God. You ready? It's a lot in here. I might actually do a Bible study on this. It's only, four, it's only 46 verses, I think, the whole thing. I might actually do a study on it, but I'll let you know. So anyway, before we dive into the first point, let's look at a little bit of background of what's going on here. Jonah is, um, is known as what's a, a prophet. You've heard of a prophet before, right? A prophet in the Bible is a person who, you know, nobody ever wants to be a prophet. Not if you're smart. Right, because prophets are the people that go and warn people to stop doing what they're doing. And typically it goes something like this. I'm a prophet sent from God. Stop sinning or he's going to wipe you out. And the people go, oh yeah? Well, not like that, but you know, I get my idea, right? I mean, Jesus is the prime example of this, right? He's the prime example of everything, obviously. But so most prophets are people that nobody wants to be a prophet, and it's extremely dangerous because... You know, whoever wants to be told that they're wrong and receives it with an open heart, it's pretty rare. In fact, I will share with you, I have it on, on good authority, and I won't tell you whose, but he's sitting behind me. Um, on good authority, there is a church in town here that has a class, ready for this, on how to be a prophet. Friends, let me just give you a little bit of pastoral advice. Don't take that class. Not if you want to be a biblical prophet, because you know what? That just sets the clock ticking. So God says, Jonah, yes? Well, actually, no, Jonah doesn't even see yes. God says, Jonah, go to that great city, Nineveh, and tell them they will be destroyed. Now, I'll get to that in a second, but let me just point something out to you to paint the picture here. Jonah does not want this call, this gig. He didn't ask for it. Prophets never do. And Nineveh is a large complex, complicated city. It's wealthy. It's sophisticated. And God says, Jonah, go there and tell them that I'm going to wipe them out unless they repent. I mean, imagine, imagine a sort of a parallel. I've been thinking about this, that you had a, a, God spoke to you and said, I want you 
the person in your seat, to go to New York City and stand in Times Square and say, repent, or you will all die. Very Episcopalian, right? Yeah, maybe not. Would you go? Would you go? And Jonah says, you know, you know Yahweh, thanks, but no thanks. And he goes, not to Nineveh, but to the exact opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. And what he does is because, you know, Jonah is a Jew and Ninevites are fil filthy pagans. What do I care about Ninevites? What do I care about Nineveh? Who cares? I care about myself. Jonah, I'm out of here. And he leaves. He escapes from God's call. He hops a ship. He taps out. He jumps on a ship, and he goes in the exact opposite direction. It's in the beginning of the book. It's only four chapters. You can read it in, on breaks in football today. And he goes to a place called Tarshish. Now, what happens is he gets on a boat, and he starts to go with a group of people that are sailing away, and they're put in a storm, a raging storm. And they say, hey, uh, did somebody here make their God angry? because this is really strange, and we're all about to die. And Jonah, it says, had told them he was going to escape from God. So what does he do? What do they do? They say, oh God, we're sorry we got to do this, but into the drink he goes. And they throw him over the side. Listen, listen. They sacrifice one man for the group. Listen to that closely. They sacrifice a man, Well, he, and he goes willingly to save those on the ship. And then he goes over into the drink. He's going to drown. And then there's this whale. This, let me explain something to you. This whale is hugely important because it's not a whale. You may not know this, but um, you ever notice if you read history, you never see stories of the Jews going across the ocean to conquer land. You ever notice that? There's no Jewish navy. Well, there might be now, but historically there never was. You know why? Because the Jews didn't go on the oceans. The Jews didn't go into the seas. They would go into inland seas. Jesus' you know, friends were fishermen. But in the Jewish mind, and this goes all the way back to Genesis 1, in the Jewish mind, the oceans and darkness and the waters of the earth are symbolic of everything terrifying with the world. And, and the reason they would say that is because there's this, not only is it dangerous to be out in the ocean, but in the ocean there is this thing this monster which symbolizes everything wrong with the world. This is a Jewish mindset. Stay with me. Jonah's a Jew. He th is thrown overboard, and then this thing grabs him. This thing that grabs him is not a whale, friends. It is something called the Leviathan. You hear about him in Scripture a few times. Leviathan, what is that? The Leviathan is again, it's the Jewish boogeyman. It's everything wrong with the world. It lives in the ocean, and it comes along, and it will, it'll, uh, it'll ruin your day, man. It'll grab your boat, it'll pull you down, it will destroy you. The Leviathan, listen to me, the Leviathan in the Jewish mind, and Jonah is Jewish, is a symbol of everything wrong. But, and here's the zinger, this Leviathan, this sea monster, the most feared thing in the Jewish mind, the symbol of everything wrong with the world, here's the thing, which is interesting. God used that creature to get Jonah where he needed to be. Don't miss that point. You wouldn't know this as a 21st century Westerner. But if you're a Jew, it's crystal clear. God can, listen to what I'm saying. God can and God use the things that you and I fear the most. That he will use them, friends, to bring you and I where you and I need to be. Let's stop there and just think about that for a sec, shall we? 
What is the thing which you fear the most? What is the thing in your heart which symbolizes everything that just terrifies you? Death of a family member, your own demise, sickness, whatever. But as dangerous and as threatening as these things are, listen, the scripture says here, this is astounding that the God of the Bible can use these things and does to help us, to get us where we need to be. That these things, now, now, no matter how terrifying they are to us, they are not beyond God's control. So Jonah, this, this Leviathan, grabs Jonah three days. Don't miss that point either, because Jesus mentions that later. For three days, Jonah is in the belly of the whale. The, or the Leviathan, the Leviathan takes him, pukes him out onto the beach. The word is vomit. It's a forceful word. And Jonah goes to the Ninevites, and he gives the most lamest, most unenergetic call to repentance in the entire scripture. He says this. I mean, dude, if you're a prophet, this is like the worst way to do it. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 4. That's it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 is a symbol of repentance, right? No, God is going to come after you. No, you burn. No, no flames. No elaboration. Nothing. Just 40 days, you're all toast. <laughs> Duck. But here's the interesting thing. The entire city, starting with the king, read it again, repents. It's actually the most amazing example in Scripture of people actually listening to a prophet. Yet 40 days and the city is gone and the entire city repents. You know, here's the thing I want you to realize here. Here's Jonah, this, <laughs> this reluctant prophet. He is, the most, he is the most successful prophet in the Old Testament. I mean, dude, you rocked it, man. Bam! He should be rejoicing. He should be over the moon. And what does he do? Jonah, point number one, Jonah is angry. Why is this important? Because it's the same thing that happens to you and me. And Jonah says why, chapter 4, verse 2. I'll read it. The city, God relents from the disaster. The people were praying. And Jonah says, you know, read it again. It's so cool. You know, Lord, I'm so angry at you because you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What kind of response is that? Well, you know, Jonah, like you and like me, we love God's compassion when it's directed at us, right? Because we kind of think we earned it and we deserve it. But not on those people. Jonah's anger, just like the anger that infects your heart and mine, is when we don't, listen, it's when we don't get what we think we deserve or somebody else gets what we think they don't. Right? Is that true? Amen? You guys awake? I can't tell because of the mask. It's hard to read you. I, honestly, it really is. So the point I want to see is Jonah's anger, just like your own anger, is caused by one of two things. You don't get what you think you deserve or somebody else gets what you don't think they deserve. Jonah, his anger, friends, is just like the person sitting in your chair. And let me, let me, and let me just stop there and just ask you a question because the answer is yes. Have you ever been angry with God? Sounds funny. Don't worry about it. God's a big boy. He can take it. Read the Psalms, man. It's all over the place. 
Have you ever been angry with God? I want you to stop and think about why that is. Because A, you're in good company, and B, it's true. The reason that is is because in your heart, you think you deserve better. Me too. I stand under the same psychological dimensions here. You get angry because you think you deserve better, you deserve better, you've earned it, or somebody else doesn't deserve what they got. I want you to consider, friends, that that anger that Jonah has is the same thing that affects your heart. And the only way to alleviate that, this is my second point, the only way to alleviate the anger in Jonah's heart and in your heart is to notice something critical, and that is my point number two, the compassion, the gracious compassion of God. So here's the question. Here's the question I want you to stop and think about for a minute. As we look at this idea of God's compassion, let's just dial in on something here that a lot of people wrestle with. How can you call God compassionate, which he claims to be, and Jonah's angry about it, when he actually threatens disaster on the Ninevites in the first place. Do you ever wonder that? Why does this, you know, people say, why is the God of the Old Testament always so angry? He's always so frustrated. He's like my old Uncle Rocco who would have too many beers at a Christmas party and just lose his mind, right? Why is the God of the Old Testament always so angry? But Jesus is nice and flowery. Well, it's actually not true, you see. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here have kids? Or if you don't have kids, you, you were a kid at one point. doesn't matter. If you, have, if you were, have kids or you once were a child, you'd know something very important, that you sometimes, you can tell your children about the drugs of alcohol, the dangers of drugs or alcohol or the danger of toxic relationships. You can try to correct them. Don't drink and drive. Study hard. Pick your friends carefully. That's a biggie. You can tell them what to do but you can't make them do it, can you? You can lead the proverbial horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Jesus did not say that, by the way. But, here, but let me just ask you a question. As a parent, have you ever exercised punishment on your children? I don't mean necessarily physical, but a consequence which was suffering for them for their own good. Anybody ever do that? If not, you're a horrible parent. Have you ever exercised wrath or discipline or punishment on somebody, either, well, I'm going to do that, positive or negative punishers is a whole other thread, but the idea being you do something which your kids don't like. It involves suffering. You ever done that? Well, guess what? You know what it's like then to exercise wrath and still be compassionate. You don't do it because you don't love them. You do it because you do love them. You see? God's wrath is the High watermark of compassion because he's using it to call us back, to challenge us. And in fact, the worst parents are the ones, the worst, are the ones that let the kids do everything. You want to see the most unhappy, miserable person in the world, find a child that's never disciplined by his parents or never told no. Lord have mercy. God, just like as parents, we don't discipline our children because we don't love them, but because we do. God disciplines us. Wrath, you want to call it that, because he does. And God threatens this wrath to the Ninevites, not because he doesn't love them, you see, but because he does. He's telling them, look, this, you're going down the road, the bridge is out, and if you don't stop what you're doing, off to go, right? And he uses, God uses these instances in our lives to, to knock us upside the head in a way, right? To knock us 
straighten us out, to give us a sense of perspective. You know, just a few days ago, you guys heard about this hurricane in uh, Sally, right? And in the, in the Panhandle, my, my whole family lives in, in Pensacola, Gulf Breeze and Pensacola Beach. Um, and my brother called me at 4.30, in the, my brother Jim called me at 4.30 in the morning on whatever it was, Saturday night, and he said, uh, no, it wasn't Saturday, but whatever, in the middle of the night, he texted me, woke me up, he said, he said bro, he said, it's, we got the waters one foot from the house, he lives on a canal, he said, pray for us, and I did, and I did. I talked to them on Wednesday, and he said to me, literally, and Jimmy's not a terribly religious guy, but he said, you know, he said to me, thanks be to God, we are all okay. And I said, Jimmy, do you know why that is? He said, God is good. I said, yes, and God is a God of compassion. So, what are you going to do about it? And that's the, that's the open question. See, God, these, these things that God places in our lives, they're not there to beat us up. They're there to wake us up. They're not there to punish us. They're there to call us back to him and to remind us that everything we have someday will someday be taken from us except for him. So what does all this have to do with Jonah's anger and God's compassion? Let me wrap up here with this. Remember, remember Jonah? Wait, uh, go back and read it again. There's a lot in this text, man. I love it. When Jonah is on the ship, right, what do the men do with him on the ship? What do the men do? They throw him over. But God, listen, God, God saved Jonah with the Leviathan. He, scoop, Mr. Leviathan grabs him out of the water, saves him from death. God saves Jonah, listen, but he didn't have to. And God saves Jonah, but he probably shouldn't have. I wouldn't have, right? You're going to run away from me? See you later, Jonah. I'll try the next guy, right? But God has compassion on Jonah, you see. Jonah put the entire city of Nineveh at risk by not going, but God saved him, not because Jonah earned it. Listen, not because Jonah earned it, but because Jesus did. Let me show you something here as I wrap up. This is really profound. Stay with me. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus says the following words. Listen, listen. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except, listen, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, Leviathan, so will the Son of Man, him, Jesus, be three days and three nights in the hearts of the earth. Don't you see? Jonah was thrown overboard to save the people on that ship, just like Jesus was thrown overboard to save you. Jesus draws a parallel between himself and Jonah, you see. Both not only in the fact that one man dies for the sake of everybody else, but also this same Jesus goes into the belly of the earth he dies, and three days later is resurrected. And when you realize the grace of God to yourself, that God has graciously saved you, friends, that will inoculate you against anger. You want to know how to solve the anger problems in your heart? Here's the answer. You ready? Think about the fact that Jesus saved you and he didn't have to. Think about the fact that even though you run away from him, and so do I, he still comes after us. Think about the fact that he loves you unconditionally. That is how you solve anger in your own heart. Because when you realize that God doesn't owe you anything and saves you purely by his grace, that unmerited, undeserved gift, you cannot get angry because you didn't deserve it in the first place, you see? 
If anger is all about feeling you don't get what you deserve, guess what? You and I don't deserve anything. Everything we get is a gift. Therefore, anger to the Christian makes no sense at all, does it? And here's what I want to wrap up with today, and I want you to think about this. Think hard. Here's a biggie. See, this story isn't about Jonah's... It's not about Ninevites. What is a Ninevite, anyway? I don't know what a Ninevite is. Lives in Nineveh, okay. This story isn't about Ninevites. It's not about whales. It's not about, you know, ships and oceans. What it's about is Jonah's heart. And really, more importantly, it's about your own heart. And if you look at the story, you didn't, we didn't read the whole rest of the, book, of the book. It's only like 15 more verses. But read it again. At the very end of the book, at the end of Jonah, the question about Jonah's, God, Jonah's mad at God, and God says, Jonah, should I have blown away Nineveh with all those people who don't know their right from their left? Question mark. End of the book. We don't know what happens to Jonah's heart. The question is intentionally and rhetorically left hanging there. We don't know what Jonah decides. God says, Jonah, how could I not have had compassion on the Ninevites, these people who didn't know their right hand from their left? The tension is, out, is left, that tension is left in the book of Jonah, friends, for one reason and one reason only. It's there because it's the same tension that's in your own heart right now. So here's the question I want to wrap up with today. It's time to call the question for Jonah, and more importantly for you. If you want the antidote to anger, the answer is simple. Focus on the compassion of God, that you don't deserve anything, and neither do I. And anybody who gets what they deserve, they get, they don't deserve it either. The point of anger is futile. Here's the question, and this is the question for Jonah, and it's the question for you today. Will you receive the grace and mercy that Jesus offers you only by his death in your place and mine? Who went over the rail, literally, to save you? Because only then, friends, will your anger and your resentment be misreplaced, you see, with the gratitude to God who gave it to you in the first place. Father, we thank you for Jonah, who shows us you are, in fact, of God of compassion, not despite suffering, but in the midst of it. Give us courage to follow and the calls you place in our lives. Help us to see the trials of this life, not with anger, but as an opportunity to learn to trust you more. Free us from anger by reminding us that all of everything we have in this life is a gift given to us by a God who's decided to do it just because he loves us. And help us to leave anger behind and rely on the new life in your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.